The plans for a new stadium at Dalymount has changed more times than a Waterford manager. But are the latest plans getting fans excited? Or are they even the final plans? The fella in the green and white short. The fella in the green and white short. Keep the good man on the bench. Welcome to the Big Kickoff League of Ireland podcast in a week where Jack Bourne decided to, against settling down in America. Daily Mount Park has a new development plan and the FAI are in search of a few quid. My name is Roy Shanahan and I'm joined by Nathan Doyle. And Nathan, Daily Mount Park have new plans. What's changed since the last one? Yeah, new, 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 newly updated plans for the 15, 16 time, Roy, it seems like. So this comes as uh, plans were presented to Dublin City councillors of uh, a scaled-down Daily Mount Park uh, redevelopment. It's obviously something that we've talked about for quite a while now. So the new plans at the minute, Roy, is we'll be looking at a 8,000-seat uh, capacity stadium um, on the original sort of Daily Mount Park where it is now at the moment. That'll be split up at around uh, 3,426 seats for a main stand, pretty much a jolly stand, what it is now. Yeah. Uh, 2,780 seats in a new uh, second second stance uh, facing the current uh, Jody stance. So the two main stands will be on the uh, the west and the east of the ground. And then either side, you'll have um, two new standing terraces, uh, essentially, for home and away support behind each goal. So we're coming up around uh, just over 6,200 uh, at 16 and 1,794 uh, standing uh, allocation behind the goals. Obviously, that goes to saying new change around barrier areas, BOPC, media areas and things like that. It's uh, it's definitely one that has, that's, I'll probably answer that question, hasn't got the fan base excited. I'm telling for a couple of reasons, right? So this, what you're seeing now, is the preliminary uh, design that has been submitted. So next we'll be looking at, we'll be looking at, look at me saying we, as a big <laughs> That's going to get me in major trouble. As soon as I said it, like, I always forget, you. Uh, so they're looking at, uh, these plans will be back into the council uh, through the summertime, and they'll be looking to, uh, to, to lodge a planning application to be ready for August. All of them come around to a cost of forty million euro, and that already includes the likes of Vatten and inflation. So that's what that forty million includes. But the main issue comes around the funding aspect, boy. And we've said it plenty of times, haven't we? With these major redevelopment plans and any sort of redevelopment plan, lives and dies off the likes of funding. So uh, the funding is available to bring this project up to construction. But construction can only begin itself for the substantial funding has been received from uh, the central government. So essentially, it's not so no funding or or any sort of uh, funding has been approved for official construction to begin. So that's where the worry comes down to. You know yourself, like things like the planning process and these design models really, really are costly. So it comes down to a thing of would you trust the Dublin City Council? to complete this project, even if it does get started, because it's definitely going to be cost effectively just to get the construction started as it is. So when, is there a date on it? Yeah, that was weird as well, Roy. I didn't see any no official uh, time frame being announced with these new plans. The likes of 2026 has been banded about, but that does look a ways off at the moment. Uh, as you said, like we're still waiting on official approval 
from these plans. Now, they were hoping that um, formal approval would be given in May time, but you, you, we've seen ourselves at Dublin City Council, we're in our own city, not even talking about football, right? because other projects around the city, how these things can be pushed out uh, in the planning process, in the design process, and how it can go over budget and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think if we are looking at 2024, 2026, that is, that's going to come up really, really quickly and looks really, really uh, like it's not going to happen. 2026 was banded about for the original structures. So it kind of sounds like this has just been thrown out there, throw a year out there and that'll, you know, keep them at bay. But when you look at the structure that they're talking about now, if that was the, what came out as an original plan, everyone probably would have been happy. I think it's now because yeah. there, there was something that was put in place there that was cheaper, uh, allegedly at the time, anyhow it was, and now it's just gone blown out of proportion and you're getting that little bit less. Yeah, I think so, because uh, like 8,000, it, it, it's a nice capacity to have there. I know we did drop down to one stage, but we're going to be at six. So like, compared to 6,000, 8,000 is better. But yeah, I think the original plans were like, correct me if I'm wrong here, but they could be, they were in like the bar back at 12,000 seats, weren't they? Yeah, something like that. the Daily Man Park. Now, now, I know that could have been when they were, they were talking about sharing the ground with, with Shelbourne and stuff like that, but... Um, yeah, again, the issue just seems to be that the, the council may not have the club's best interest at heart in terms of they'd be happy getting the, the plaza around the stadium finished rather than, you know, getting the ground done apart. We might, the, the fear is that they let the ground rot as it is or half the construction that get started and it might just fall by the wayside. So there's definitely, there's, it's uncommon one of these stories, right, that nerves will only sort of, falls that down once work begins and once people start to see the ground come together because like we talked about it too didn't we that the, the council models the way to go and you always point about like, the Shamrock Rovers but even if the Shamrock Rovers team I think even at, like we've been quick to always point it out but not the caveat with the fact they have to work really really hard to get into that position they are even to get themselves into Tallis Stadium what was it 20 year fight as it is and yeah. Now we're only, we're only seeing Palace Stadium come together now, aren't we, with the completion of the fourth stance set to, to, to be open in July. So that's going to take 10 years plus as it is. So, yeah, these teams can definitely, definitely take an age when they are working with the council. And there just seems to be a bit of mistrust at the minute around the Bohemian fan base and Dublin City Council regarding the whole situation. Because it has been very long gone. It's been very over-pushed. And there has been a lot of chopping and changing. And as you said, there's been reports now coming out that Lacking details, pretty much, you know, lacking details on time frames and and not only on, you know, oh, 2026 and like years, but solid time frames that people can walk around and people can get excited about. With, listen, with any county councils, the price normally goes up yeah. hu- huge percentages when they get quoted stuff, um, you know, developers. Just, and- just, just look and builders. Just look the same, I, know, I know it's completely different, mate, but just, all I have to do is look at the James Hospital project that's yeah, going on at the minute. That's exactly in, in, in it. The center, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it does. And and if you're building it in clubhouses, astro pitches, uh, stadiums, anything at all, and it's got to do with the, the county councils, you are paying, you know, out your arse for, with money. It's just ridiculous how that, how that happens. The whole process slows down quicker than obviously a private one would. So you really are at the mercy of the county council and these things. Yeah. Would you rather see, for the likes of Bose, something that is going to be put in place like they have now, so that would be your four structures put in place all in one go, 
or would you rather see Daily Mount be built up like Tala Stadium has? I think once you more so what Tala has, you know, once you have the bones of the structure that's going to be there, I'd hate to see them go into Daily Mount, you know, like keep just for, for example, right? So this isn't going to happen, but just for our conversation's sake, keep the Jolly Stand the way it is. Now, we like the Jolly Stand. Jolly Stand's one of the better stands in the league, but underneath it does need a lot of work, you know, things like the toilets and all the facilities. They would need to get done up too. So I'd hate to see them, you know, just keep keep the Jolly Stand and be pretty much playing in a building site regardless. So I would like to see them have the bones of a structure together, whether that be the two new main stands on the east side and the west side of the grounds, um, or even the two standing terraces, or one standing terrace and, and, and the Jolly stand uh, completed. I'd like to see them have, have something in place. And then, you know, walk walk around that, in a similar vein, which Rovers have done, you know, where Rovers have then got, you do the south stand, then we do the new stand. So, yeah, I think you have to have something in place rather than just be playing in the construction site. But you would know, you like to see it in years. stages, like the way that Tala had been done? So, yes, each time you're getting, you have to wait a little bit of time for a structure to be built, but you are getting a firm, solid, uh, up-to-date structure that is befitting a football stadium within Europe. Yeah, that's what I started getting at, you know. Make sure you, you know, you can do two of them, make sure two stands are ready to go and then the others can be done down the line. Whether that, and look, that could be five, ten years because as you said, that's what went on with Tallis Stadium and it's, it's, well, it was always in a fantastic shape compared to the rest of the facilities around the League of Ireland but it's built itself up now to where it can hold Europa League games and Europa Conference League games and things like that. So I'm sure Bowles fans wouldn't, wouldn't mind waiting if they knew that was going to come down the pipeline eventually. Yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd I'd rather that and if there was more funds maybe made available in time that it, it would be done on a, a yearly basis. So maybe it's over, you know, every two years or whatever it is for each stand. So they actually maybe instead of getting the terraces, although maybe the numbers in the terrace would be better than building a stand, um, you know, with uh, seating areas. But something that would be befitting of what Daily Mount should be, what the original plans were looking to be, something along those lines where you're having your, your all-seater stadium. Now, listen, the purists, some of them like standing and stuff like that. But I still think that you could build a stand opposite the Jody stand at the moment. That would be your, your first phase. Build one of the, the in-behind-the-goals, then build the other one, the second and third phase, and then maybe, you know, do something with the Jody stand. But... You know, maybe the Jody stand is is a major, major. You know, it's 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 hemorrhaging there, as you said. Underneath, it definitely needs to be to be done up. So, uh, listen, it's in the lap of the gods, anyhow. So it doesn't make a damn of a difference what we think. Uh, do you think that is it something then that they're going to have to move out of the stadium? Don't seem to be, doesn't it? Again, we're we're coming off like. Grains of, of information that have been sort of drifted out to us, but that's never really been indicated that they're going to have to move out of Daydemont Park. So maybe it is a case that they're going to deal with it in phase or, or to deal with it in bulk or deal with it in phases. But if you're going to stay in Daydemont, you'd imagine that the, the phasing process be the best way to go about it. I know we keep harping on about Tallis Stadium, but it's the only, it's it's the best probably uh, indicator that we have in the league, something similar, you know, going down the council route. But Yes, they've done it in phases and, and didn't have to go anywhere. So if that's on the table, it definitely seems the most comfortable, most viable option instead of moving elsewhere and then all of a sudden you have rent on top of the, the rising costs of this um, 
of this redevelopment coming into place. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll, we'll again wait around. This is over a year, year and a half or so. We're waiting around. <laughs> we could be waiting a while, couldn't we? And we could, we could be waiting, waiting a while, a while before <laughs> anything is moved in there. But listen, we want good stadiums in the League of Ireland. And what we said at the start, the very first time we heard that and about it, we don't want Bose or anyone to settle for something. We want to make sure that it's something that they can be proud of. And, you know, let's hope that these designs are something that they can be proud of. But let's also hope that if the club are willing to go with it, that it's done in a quick manner. And, and that's probably the worrying mo- point of it all, because... It never really does be, as I said, when county councils are involved. Okay, now we'll be talking about Derry City's new assistant manager and, of course, the FAI who are searching for a few quid to to balance the books. But we'll talk about Jack Bourne first, Nathan. He remains at Rovers despite multiple bids from the MLS. Is this kind of hinting at maybe a move at at the end of this year? Or do you think the fact that Jack stayed that he's happy to see out his football here? I think he, he won't be long for this league, right? And it's for a couple of reasons. So, yeah, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a heavy week for Jack, I'd say. There's been a lot going on. As you said, there was um, interest from the LMS with Charlotte FC that made, uh, I think it was in two reported bids mm-hmm. for Jack Bourne. That were, uh, we, we've heard that there were six bigger sums, but then I believe, I believe it was estimated in the, uh, the ballpark of 400,000 euro that the, the bids were yeah. ahead of the, uh, the MLS transfer window closing, which took place Monday gone, uh, which is the 24th of April for anybody listening back. They were both rejected by Shamrock Rovers. And I, obviously, then you see him on Friday night. I didn't want to, I, I just hoped we wouldn't have to talk about this game, but here we go. Uh, when they beat St. Pat's 2-0 in Richmond Park. In fairness to Jack, Looking at it, you know, he played 89 minutes of the game. Looked like there was no distractions. There's no, which you, you would not, I'm not saying you'd ever expect that with a player like Jack Bourne. They're very professional, and we've seen that. He had a re- I think, no, we wouldn't be lying to say he had a really poor season in 2022, uh, coming off the back of this point in time in Applewell, injuries and stuff like that. But he's really looked good this season. Uh, looking at his passing stats and stuff, quite a on the show. He think the highest uh, passing success level throughout the season. Uh, 11 appearances this year, 11 starts, two goals and five assists. So he's definitely been an important aspect of that Shamrock Rovers team. And you can understand why Rovers uh, rejected the bid because we still are only after the fourth round of fixtures in the 2023 season. So he's been an vital part already and he's going to be a vital part of Rovers as he pushed for an early title and to get back into a European uh, group stage competition. But just... Some of the quotes, you know, you've seen that were being drip fed out after the weekend from Jack being, um, you could say the quote here, just I think it was with the uh, the Irish Independence, uh, Jack saying, I'm here until the end of the season and I've given my all for this club. And, you know, again, we're going off nothing major, but just looking at towns and looking at, you know, the attractive offer that was on the table for Jack and move over to Charlotte. Uh, you have the relationship with with the Charlotte FC head coach, uh, Chris and uh, Latizino, who was an academy coach at Manchester City when Jack was there. You can see why it was a move that turned his heads and, and, and turned his heads at a, an important part of the season for Rovers. So I just, I feel like if the Charlotte FC move came back on the table, perhaps towards the end of the season or during the summer, I think it could be difficult for him to 
to tone it away. And I think it'll be difficult for Sean McGrover to tone it away because, look, say what you will about that 400,000 price tag. As Jack is coming out of contract now in November, my fear would be, and I'm sure you'd probably be the same, is that he just sees out his contract and doesn't renew anything. And then all of a sudden he walks away in November to Charlotte or to whoever it may be. And you're not getting any transfer fee, which for me, I think it'd be criminal for a player of uh, Jack Bone standards. Yeah, well, first of all, I think the talk was that Shamrock Rovers wanted to keep him because they found they thought that if they get into Europe again, they win the league, they they have a go at the Champions League, and um, if they're if they fail there, then the Europa League path, etc., etc. So they they feel that they will make more money than the four hundred twenty five thousand uh, or whatever it was that was stated. So they're hedging their bets on that one financially. Jack Bourne, I don't see him signing a new contract. I know. Yeah, I think. Agree. I think what he's going to do, he'll see it out. That, that I'm sure that offer will come back in, barring you know some disaster with injuries or anything. Touchwood that doesn't happen for him, but there would be a huge signing on fee if he was to go anywhere and anyone was to look at him if he has a really really good season again. So. You know, Jack's probably not losing out too much here. I know he was supposed to be tripling his wages if he went across, so that must have been eye-catching. But I'd say the club must have had some say in that, you know, because to triple your wages again and to go across to America, if he doesn't want to go in the middle of the season, I'm not sure he wants to go at the end of the season. So I would say the club turned that down and I'd have a good feeling that Jack Bourne if that came back in at the end of the season, I'd say he'd be happy to go. I can't see him signing a new contract. If he does, that's it. He's he's not moving anywhere after that then, I don't think. Yeah, because it's very look at Jack. He's only gone 27 um, at the start of the week too. So he's coming into his peak years of football. So now's the time for him personally would be to cash in. Just looking at that valuation, that's actually something that we, we probably would have skimmed over. Is that a revaluation new rise for a player of Jack Bourne's quality? Yeah. 400,000 or 420, whatever it was. Yeah, I think so. With, with six months left in his contract or seven months left in his contract, yeah. whatever it is, I don't think you're going to get too much more there. If he had three years, you'd be looking for more. You'd be definitely looking for more. Uh, but no, with, with that amount of time, it's probably their last chance to, to, to let him go. Unless someone from England comes in and, and there's a firm offer in England in the middle of the summer, but then again, why would he go at that stage then, you know? So it would have to be something really, really good for them to leave. And to tell you the truth, the MLS would be a better move than, you know, may- maybe League One or-, or League Two or something like that in England. So, uh, And with the 10,000 a week that they were, uh, they were seemingly offering, so that's a half million a year for three years, million and a half. It's very hard for someone, you know, who whose career will be finished in not too very long in the future to turn down that sort of money, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I can I can see that. If, if that's the truth, I can see him and they're interested in him again in, in November, December. I can see him making that move. Yeah, especially with the relationship there with the head coach, yeah, Roy, yeah. that's in place. I know, look, look, you can make the similarities to the relationship you have with Mick McCarthy and well, but that was a freak situation going over and, and Mick getting sacked and the injury and things like that. But yeah, yeah the relationship in place there, I do think the valuation probably doesn't reflect his skill set, but yeah, it, it, it does come down, doesn't it, to the fact that he's out of contract in November. It's just something we're seeing 
a couple of Shamrock Rovers complaining about that they were being lowballed on the offer, but I don't think there is a lowball offer again solely for the fact that he's out of contract come the end of the year. Yep, um, but we'll see again on that one there. Jack has a lot of football to play between now and November, and he I'm sure will impact uh, how Shamrock Rovers' season goes as as he has always done. Maybe as you said, bar last year, just that little touch of trying to find his form again but he has definitely found it OK Darius City they have appointed who as new assistant manager yes a gentleman by the name of Paddy McLaughlin uh, has come in to replace Alan Reynolds, Alan Reynolds as Rory Higgins uh, assistant manager at the Roy McCroy Brandywell Stadium uh, anyone that's listening has, a, has an interest of uh, the Northern Irish Football League will know Paddy uh, as a coach from his days with most recently, anyway, Clifton Guild spent four years with Clifton Guild. Only recently uh, resigned uh, towards the end of, of the season. A lot of people imagined it was for to take this role. Uh, he won the league cup at Clifton Guild in 2022. But uh, most impressively, Roy, I remember even at the time seeing this coming in, I was trying to broaden my horizons. I think I was only starting to do a bit of work with yourself, so I wanted to, you know, like get a bit of an aspect. I didn't know what, what way we were going to go with this show, so I remember being bit into the, the Northern Idol League for a couple of months, just, uh, <laughs> and just, just you know, you never know, Roy, my friend, now the Glenn Thornton question at me, then it never came, and I was like, ah, I'm just going to stop watching this. But remember at the time seeing that he gained promotion with uh, Institute, won the, the, the NIFL Championship and gained promotion at the back end of the 2017-2018 uh, season. And even those reading forums and, and you know, talking to the people that had a more of a knowledge about the Northern Ireland Football League. It was a really impressive feat to do at the time because Institute's budget, it was a uh, real shoestring stuff. So to, to uh, become champions again, promotion with that sort of budget was really impressive and really caught the eye. But uh, yeah, look, Paddy's, it, it makes sense from our point of view with his coaching experience. Paddy's also a Derry native himself, uh, eight years as a player, was an academy graduate from Derry City. Uh, was even linked with the managerial job. I remember a couple of times his name being brought up, probably one of the likes of Declan and Devoyan, um, left his post and things like that, Kenny Shields. So, uh, yeah, it's not the first time Paddy's name and Derry City have been intertwined together. Maybe he's actually got off to a great start, didn't he? On Friday, up in Tornos Cross, a good uh, 3-1 win away from home. Lefty, yeah, lefty positive for seeing Paddy coming in. 3-1, uh, Colin Whelan getting his fourth goal of, of the season, his fourth start, someone that, one of the big marquee signings as a striker of 30 years, someone that anyone, not only us, Roy, but a lot of people have talked about to be one of the, always lead them to be one of the best strikers within the league, obviously to have a, uh, that bit of eye for goal with UCD. Realistically, he probably wouldn't be playing League of Ireland football if he got such a nasty injury last year, so he's been unlucky, so it'd be great to see Colin Whelan come in and, and do well at the Brandywell, so, yeah, all positives. I say it was a, it was a happy long journey home for back from Tornos Cross to the Brandy Welt um, for Paddy McLaughlin and his fourth night in the job. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I'm sure Rory Higgins happy to have someone fill that vacant spot yeah, now, no, and they can con- they can concentrate then for the rest of the season. Sorry to cut over you there, but it's not even looking where I was, was thinking about like Paddy McLaughlin, the, the system manager's uh, union within the League of Ireland. Really impressive, isn't it? Really, is something that's been growing in the past couple of years. You know. Look at Anna Rellins, number two at Waterford. You have yeah. Gary Crown at Bowers, Darren Doyle at Drottery, your pal Ollie. Obviously, how could we forget Ollie at Galway? So, yeah, it really is. Um, a lot of coaches who just named there could 
realistically be four team managers at Premier Division and fourth division clubs. Yeah, so I think that's Paddy McLaughlin another one. That's how they're building successful teams now, and, and yeah. you know building building. You know what would I say? Teams that can go on and push a little bit in Europe, and the standard is rising all the time. So that means the background staff has to standard has to rise there as well. So yeah, it's great to see, but that's a lot of experience that's going to help out, especially sometimes one voice. You know, I know obviously there's not only one voice, but one dominant voice isn't always a good thing. So it's good to have two or three people with that valuable experience there to to turn to. And maybe they're all saying similar things in different ways. And that's how you get the best out of your team. So, yeah, it's it's, it's it really is. It's good to see. Now, the FAI submitted a report to the government questioning 1.5 billion injection of public money into horse and greyhound racing. Nathan, we only seen this there earlier on today. We did. When you read through it, what did you make of it? So, fresh off a 12-hour shift, Roy being the gent <laughs> that he is, this thing, you said on my WhatsApp, right? This team made a physical fucking noise when it hit me WhatsApp account. It was like a thesis, <laughs> wasn't it? But now an absolute brilliant again, Danny McDonald's uh Lord's Independent, cracking article boy, really is. I just say with the FBI submitting a report to the government on the the one point five billion of uh, of public money to uh, the the horse racing uh the the horse racing oil and greyhound racing oil and so yeah we're really looking at the idea of in a collision course aren't we with the two absolutely yeah it's a, it's, it's two, a real loggerhead two juggernauts yeah, of, uh, of the betting industry and again when people point out you know the the, the divvying of forms with the, the, you know, the GAA and the rugby the horse racing oil is always um, it's always right by its side isn't it and this, this the, we're looking at it um Am I right in saying that they're looking to spread betting income beyond yeah. to to the most major beneficiaries, and obviously that being horse racing Ireland and grey greyhound racing Ireland within the country. So that's generally what it is. So they have received the betting tax of any sport, and it has been divided out between the horse and greyhound racing since two thousand and one to twenty twenty one. So anything that was backed on football, and that was backed on snooker, and that was backed on Gaelic football, uh, between I think it was about I think there probably was a higher percentage back in two thousand and one that was doing greyhound racing and horse racing, but that has changed now. So all that money was and is going to horse racing Ireland and the greyhound racing. And unfairly in the in the FAI's opinion, because it's between now they reckon it's fifty to sixty percent is horse racing and greyhound racing, but yeah. that other fifty or forty to fifty percent is partly and mostly football. And they said, well, they should be able to get their chunk of the money. And to be fair, Nathan, I don't think that that's an unfair request. Um, I think that the, yeah. the, the the tax was dropped from 2% to 1% at one stage. They lost a lot of money and the government actually subsidised that through taxpayers' money. So they were getting uh, whatever amount of money it was uh, they used to reach and they, they had to they had to sort of every year then for a certain amount of years fill that gap with taxpayers' money. So now it's gone back up to 2% again but 
the FAI are saying, well, you know, we we give a lot of that through, you know, we give a lot of health sort of uh, benefits to kids around the country and uh, all this sort of stuff that the, 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 the horse racing and the greyhound racing sort of put their case across to as there's so many jobs with 26,000 jobs that, you know, are generated through that and that generates X amount of money. But then when you went back through it, there's a lot of those jobs, <laughs> quite a bit of those jobs who, who aren't even in the racing industry. They're, they're, they're people uh, who get the ripple effect. So um, I think it's fair. And I think what they've said is is that they're, they're, they're looking for a few different ways that they could raise the money. And one of the ways was to uh, simply divide out the money. So that's the, between, you know, every sport. The second one is to increase the betting tax from 2 to 3% with the difference allocated to sports who don't currently benefit. And I think the third one was to make that 3% tweak a guarantee to the horse racing and greyhound that funding will not drop below 2021 amounts. And again, it's, it's something that I think has to be fair. If 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 people are betting and that's the tax that's there and people are betting on football, football should get if they're betting on Gaelic football, Gaelic football should get there a little bit as well. So um what's your thoughts on them? Yeah, remember like he just probably jumped on here reading through it and like one of them stood out and it, 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 you can see the argument for from the FBI's point of view was that like can effectively allow us income from betting uh, tax on all sports to be diverted to the two, I was saying the two major benefactors that being uh, horse racing and greyhound racing which it was seen generate 100 million per year between like an 80-20 split between the horse racing and the uh, the, the greyhound racing side of things yeah. but then you look at the football side of things that brings in 20 million per year so like that that is a lot to be to be leaving on the table or to not being divvied up fairly if that's what's being generated on football through betting schemes. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, as the GAA have got huge amount of money, uh, public money, by the government, more than any other, probably more than every other um, yeah. sport within the country. I think I think they even moved the, the horse racing and the greyhound racing fund away from the Minister of Sport and put it into the Minister of Agriculture just so it wouldn't be defined under the sport thing so there wouldn't be, a, you know, a few people mumbling about it but I, I get it now and uh, the, the other argument is is that most of this money goes back into only a few top earners because most of the, 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 the horses who are being owned and, and are winning are from a very f- few horse racing people and you see Willie Mullins now who has there might be a race of 25 horses and, and he might have 22 of them you know and so uh, yeah. as a trainer he, he'd be getting the benefits in that and, but most of the owners of these horses uh, they own an awful lot of them as well so that money that we're putting all in from our taxes and you know again as, as the government uh, had to top that up as well all that's going to a very small few so it's got to change I think yeah, you, even you, you, like I said, the twenty billion on the football side of things. It's it should realistically shouldn't it be going into grassroots level, league of oil level, and stuff like that. And it, and it probably goes back to the conversation we were having. I think it was on last week's show, Roy, about um, 
how things like the Euro 2028 campaigns and stuff can really sh- should be able to filter down and to affect the elites in a positive way. And again, speaking of the, uh, the, the Euro 2018, we said last week, we don't think it should be. So, yeah, you'd like to see that, that 20 million a year that is generated to better tax on football be filtered down. Because look, say what you will about, and this is, we're not having a conversation about gambling sponsorship and gambling plays within football. This comes down to the to, to, uh, to entitlement and the tax that's there. The FEO could be old, and it is a lot of money to be leaving on the table. That twenty million, that's that's not being there, uh, especially when you said so much has been come brought in through the GAA and through it to, to uh, the horse racing and the greyhound racing. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, we'll we'll leave that there, and that's going to rumble on uh, and rumble on. Rock Mount won the FAI Intermediate Cup over the weekend. Yeah, a busy weekend. I've done double duty as I like to do uh, in Richmond on Friday. And uh, little did I know, the FEI uh, Intermediate Cup came to town, Roy. Did. On Sunday, took place at the showgrounds on uh, Sunday afternoon between uh, Cockhill Celtic of Buncranet up in Donegal and uh, Rockmount of Cork. Cracking game going out the day, finished uh, one all. Rockmount coming out four three winners uh, on penalties. They uh, retained the, the, the biggest prize in Irish amateur football. Uh, goal came from uh, Adam Crowley of Rockdown with the 78 minute, but was quickly cancelled out right, by uh, Lee McCollin, uh, a penalty for Cockey in the, the 20, well, the 25th minute. Uh, then Cockey said that Corey McBride missed the size of penalty, went down to sudden death, so really, really got nervous towards the end. A uh, couple of, don't know if you've uh, recognised some of the names, so I was looking at the team sheet when they came in the day, it was, Two or three that stood out familiar names in the league. Obviously, a lot of the lads even looking at the FBI Connect app yeah. would have played underage football with the league. But for Cockhill Celtic, uh, Luke Wooden, the playing of Finn Harps back in uh, 2022, was uh, would be regular. And hopefully, he was a regular uh, name on the Finn Harps team. She's Keen Murphy uh, with Galway in 2021, and same with Keen Leonard with Cole Ramblers uh, in 2021. So, yeah, been for Rockman. Uh, Great finish for the weekend for them to retain their FBI Intermediate Cup um, title for the game. Absolutely massive team to, uh, to get in uh, Irish amateur football. And obviously, Luke and United and stuff would have been there, there, about a couple of years ago, weren't they? I think they had a big game against Rockman. Got beaten in the semi final this year. The semis, wasn't it? This year, yeah. Uh, actually, what am I speaking about that? We throw it out here a couple of the old League of Ireland lads. How are some of the old, the former League of Ireland lads getting on with Lucan? Because I remember the last time we were talking about it, there was a couple of uh, former pros, wasn't it? And trying to trade now with Lucan United. Yeah, there's a few there, and yeah, doing okay, but you know they haven't won anything. So that's you know you're only successful if if you're playing in these leagues and you've dropped down if you if you've won something and. They have a chance in in one of the in, the, in one of the local cups, but something like the FAI Intermediate Cup and something like the Top Leinster Senior League, that's what you really need to be pushing for if you're dropping down. And Luke and United have a squad that really, really should be pushing for that, and they did. But listen, Rockmount are a good side, so you know there's there's nothing guaranteed. And you said there's a sprinkle of League of Ireland within any of these teams that get to these final stages of a competition. So. Next year is going to be an interesting year. You know, Luke and United are settled into the, into the senior division in, in the, the Leicester Senior League this year. Next year, uh, probably a couple of others will, will drop in and uh, we'll see how that goes. But uh, uh, 
nothing spectacular at the moment, Nathan, is the is the word. But here's hoping we keep an eye out what we have to summer comes for the, the FEI Cup draws and stuff like that. So exactly. Get that COVID at Luke and United in Pats game because that'll be a taste one. We'll get a bit of crack out of that. So that's always <laughs> the draw that we'll be giving out our eye over. We'll keep our eye over that. Okay, listen, we're, we're running out of time here. So we get the fan question. Yeah. Your main man again, Roy, Kevin Sheridan, helping us out. Reach out once again on LinkedIn. You want to be like Kevin, get them into us uh, on a social media account at the big kickoff. Uh, we love having them. So, Kevin's question this week, Roy, actually, I don't know if we had this one before. I think that similar ones, but not this one at the actual effect. Uh, Kevin asks, who's the biggest football icon to play in the League of Ireland? So, I was trying to think about this. There's a few of them. Your football There's icon. A few of them. I mean, you're, I think you're going to go someone like Joseph and Doe, are you? No. Oh, my head didn't even go there. Did it my not? My head went, no. Didn't even register to think of. It was only afterwards. I was like, ah, oh, the team in League of Ireland icons, like like the Joey and those, like now like some of that sort of, not transcends the League of Ireland, but some of that maybe, like not diehard League of Ireland fans would know about, but now my head didn't even go there. My head went to all the L lads that played like three games oh, at the back yeah. ass of like major careers. <laughs> That's where my brain went to. And it's loads of them. Shy players at the time who used to be good players. No, world-class players that, like, like so, a couple of I had was, like, George Best yeah. playing, like, three games with Cork Celtic and Bobby Charles and lads of that ilk. But I've, I've quite a few more because there's a lot of... That's where my brain went to, is lads that finishing up starly careers and somehow ended up in Cork Celtic. All right, OK. Well, then you can't beat George Best, can you? Even if Bobby Charlton was no. there, even if uh, Gordon Banks was there, you know, George Best is the biggest and, and probably the best that there there has been in, in that league. Um, who else did you got? Uh, obviously, my past point of view, Paul McGrath came to mind too, which was always going to happen, wasn't it, from past. But I'm thinking of the Paul. Paul played like a, compared to these, to some of the other names I have, Roy, Paul was stalwart of the League of Ireland. Because like others I have down here is uh, Jeff Horst, class of the England 1996, 1996, 1966 uh, World Cup. <laughs> Once again, whatever was going on with Cork Celtic at the time, made a month, uh, one month appearance, uh, three goals and three appearances. Uh, Jimmy Johnson from the famous Lisbon Lions with yeah. Celtic uh, had a short uh, spell with Shelbourne in the late 70s. Who else do I have? Oh, Dixie Dean. Obviously, I would have got killed in Sligo if I didn't mention Dixie <laughs> Dean. Everton legend, Dixie Dean. Again, stalwart, right? Seven appearances, ten goals. So, there you go. Call of Fame material on the rest of the lads that only played three games. And in George Best's case, I've probably half cut. Half cut, of yeah. And, and still the best. Uh, I, I couldn't... And still yeah. balled out a bit. Yeah. Now, listen, we didn't see any of these play, so we, we have no, no God, idea no. how they performed even in these games. But for, for an icon, George Best... I mean, but George Best was doing the rounds then. It was nearly rent-a-club, wasn't it? So, yeah. Um, listen, the, the, you, I know I thought you were going along the lines of, you know... You know, who stands out? Who's an icon of the League of Ireland? I was thinking, but I, if it was that, anyhow, it's not. But if it was that, and no, you were probably, you probably got down to Joseph and nothing. But I was looking at a clip, it came up on TikTok the other day, 
and it was a Paddy McCart one. It was on for about a minute and a half. Holy shit. That's why you love football. Players like him who can dance through players with absolute ease. It's not even, it's it's just ridiculous what, what he could do. And, you know, the league is missing that type of player now at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, like that, you just thinking back, right, that Derry City team that would have been there with Stephen Kenny, like, that, yeah, Paddy McCord, young James McLean, Killian Brennan, Peter Houghton at the back, Mark Farron, serious uh, Richmond talent there, isn't it? I'm trying to think now since you rejigged the question, because I don't want to go for Joey and Dale because I think it's Lohan and Fru. <laughs> but look, Joey's a super talent, but uh, yeah, I think it would. Yeah, for, yeah like, I don't want to be the hipster answer, you know. 27 I was, oh Brendan Bradley or, you know like yeah. I didn't see them play like as much as you can appreciate the, the, the stats and the figures and the odd clip that you do see of them I think of my generation yeah it's low hanging fruit but you'd have to probably go Joey wouldn't you absolutely yeah I, listen he's a, a quality player as well so but uh, I still think Paddy Mahar beats him just out of pure Edgy or seek, get off. The, I, I just loved watching Paddy McCart play, uh, whether it was in Ireland or in Scotland or wherever it was. He was he was always someone who could do something really, really different. But it was not. It wasn't. I know Joseph and Doe did that, but it was just the way he dribbled. It was just there could be six people standing on his toes and he dribbled his way through them. It was just fantastic so anyhow right that's it so George Best wins it fair enough that's that's that, we leave it at that one uh, right we're going to go Nathan thanks very much thanks very much for you for listening and uh, don't be afraid to have a listen to us on Fountain FM uh, you can get paid to watch, listen to us and you can uh, it's a value for value podcast site so if you want to tip or uh, pass on that value towards anyone, any podcast, not just our own, but any podcast that you think is worth doing that, then uh, you can do so. Talk to you next week.